Welcome to Conservation Today. We interview people about our environment in Douglas County, and I'm your host, Francis Etherington. Today, uh, Wednesday, January 9th, Vicki Walker from the state of Oregon, uh, from the Department of State Lands, came to Canyonville to hear public comments on the Jordan Cove project. Specifically, on the removal fill permits, the Department of State Lands have the authority to grant or not grant. So I went to this hearing, and today's show, we will hear other people's viewpoints about the Jordan Cove project. First, a little review about what the Jordan Cove project is. Uh, Jordan Cove is a project that's owned by Pembina Pipelines. Pembina is a Canadian corporation, and they have a lot of gas fields. They do a lot of fracking, and they want a way to get their fracked natural gas to Asia. They want to be able to export it. They The technology of fracking has has produced a lot of natural gas. As so much natural gas that we have um, used up our domestic source to sell it to. And so if we can't export, as Pabina says, if they can't export it, they might have to stop fracking. So the big push is to export it. Now, even though it's a Canadian company exporting mostly Canadian gas, they actually want to do it by building a project in southern Oregon. There's a lot of uh, guessing on why they can't do this in Canada, uh, but they figure it's easier to get that pipeline through southern Oregon. Now, they want to pipe it to Coos Bay and at Coos Bay put it on ships over to Asia. Now, there's an existing natural gas pipeline that goes from Canada down to near Klamath Falls, a place called Malin. And so there they, and it actually goes further down to California. But there at Malin, they want to start a 230 mile long new pipeline across southern Oregon and bring it to Coos Bay. As this pipe itself will be three feet in diameter, and the pipeline corridor needs to be a clear cut of 95 feet. And except when they turn corners, it needs to be 150 feet in certain areas, so somewhere between 95 and 150 feet wide. 160 miles of this goes through private property, and 70-some miles of this goes through federal lands. It goes through the Umpqua National Forest and Roseburg BLM and a few other national forests and BLMs. So, um, as you can imagine, there's quite a bit of clear-cutting that will happen to clear-cut this uh, wide corridor. Now, to cross the private lands, they have to have the landowner agree to give them this right-of-way. And if a landowner doesn't agree, the uh, Pembina, the Canadian company, is asking our federal government, the Trump administration, to give them a right to take private property with eminent domain. Now, the federal government that uh, is in charge of this is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, otherwise known as FERC. And they're the agency that will agree or not agree to give them the right to take private property with eminent domain. 
They have to find it within the public good. And um, the other permits they have to get are from the state of Oregon. In order to cross rivers and and dredge the Bay of Coos Bay, which you're going to have to do to dredge the Bay of Coos Bay to get these huge tankers in, they need a permit from the state of Oregon called a removal fill permit in order to cross all these rivers and to dredge the bay. It is estimated that there are almost 500 uh, waterways that they will have to cross that they need a wetland fill permit for from the state of Oregon. And this is what the state of Oregon was in Canyonville today to hear our comments on. While waiting outside to get in, I started chatting with a gentleman from Days Creek. Let's hear what he has to say. First of all, give me your name. Russ Lyon. I have a ranch in Days Creek, and the pipeline is, proposed pipeline will go across the corner of it within about 400 feet of my house. Wow. And it'll cross Fate Creek, one of the creeks where we've spent quite a few years trying to prove the fish habitat. Actually, right in the area where the pipeline's going to cross. Now, Fake Creek is a tributary to Days Creek, Creek, which is a tributary to the South Umpqua River. Correct. And so you have been uh, protecting Fake Creek for a number of years now for mm-hmm. fish habitat. Right. When we got the ranch back in 1990, the creeks were in pretty bad shape because the previous owners really had not kept the cattle out of the creeks and so forth. And there was actually no way for the fish to get up the creek. So there have been a lot of projects since then. And now we have salmon going all the way up Fate Creek. And it's important that there's pools for the young to survive in. So we did a lot of rock structures and log structures and so forth. And so the pipeline, this uh, Canadian pipeline, Mm -hmm. they want to take your property with eminent domain? Correct. For a foreign corporation, just to make profits. Does nothing for Oregon. Not any of this gas will ever actually do anything for Oregon. Our creek is one of 425 creek crossing or water crossings right. on the way. Right. And do you think that the, how many of those are going to be done correctly? Yeah. This is just, to me, total environmental arrogance to bring a pipeline across mountainous terrain like this just for profit for a Canadian corporation. And plus, the, there's plenty of history now of these things having explosions. And it's a good, what, 1,000-foot radius, probably, or diameter anyway, of danger. And that's well within our house location, as, as well as other people along the pipeline. Yeah, as, as a mechanical engineer, I'm not satisfied at all with the, with the design of such a thing. It's just, it really can't be done safely. And on Fake Creek that, that goes to your property, there is a riparian buffer that keeps that water cool. Mm-hmm. And that riparian buffer is what's going to have to be cut down. Right. We can't plant it back. For permanently. It has to be permanently right. uh, an exposed stream with no sh- no vegetation on the shore. And that's yeah. one of the most important things, or the important thing of, of salmon is they need cool water. Right. And uh, between global warming and cutting down the shade over the creeks, it's not a good situation. 400 of those creeks. 400, right. 
Well, Russ, thanks uh, for talking with us today, and I uh, hope to be able to record your testimony up there today later on. Okay, thanks. Thanks. As we stood outside the hearing, people were arriving. Lots of people were arriving. There could have been, oh, four or 500 people that showed up at this hearing in Canyonville. And the most of them were wearing these red shirts indicating they were opposed to the pipeline. There were a few folks with green hats indicating that they were in favor of the pipeline. So let's hear what a few more people had to say while we're waiting outside to get in. What is your name? Frank Adams. Frank Adams. Hello, Frank. And so you own property on the pipeline route? Yes, I do. Uh, mile post 55.95. And so do they want to, are they threatening to take your land with eminent domain? Yes, they are. They want to not only cross my land, but use the lower portion of it as a staging area. A staging area? Your property? Yes. Well, how do you feel about that? I don't. I don't like the idea of them coming on the property at all because anyone that knows the area in which I live in knows how precious water is. And I have lived on this five and a half acre land for 38 years and have raised a family, planted fruit trees, grapevines, and rural gardens. The amount of water that my well produces is similar to that of a spring. 20 ounces of recovery a minute. Where they propose the pipeline extends right through the area where the water for my well comes, and any disturbance of this hillside area will have great effect on my water supply and living conditions in the future. The tributary that Shields Creek that runs north and south comes from the hillside that drains into Ten Mile Creek across the Highway 42. This stream has spawning coho and steelhead right now in that stream. Any silt or disturbance from any excavation would impede these fish runs. I don't believe here in Oregon we need Pembina gas lines. Canada wants the line, put it up in Canada. Say no to eminent domain. Say no to Canadian Chinese companies. Yes, that's, well, that's very compelling, Frank, you know, to have this pipeline from Canada, a Canadian corporation, try and bully their way through your property. Yes, but the way the terrain lays, uh, it, it seems like they would be going right in front of my mobile home within 10 feet because of the hillside that I live on. So the only access to that property down in the bottom for staging would be right in front of my mobile home and right past my orchards and grapevines. These uh, grapevines that I mentioned have taken seven to 10 years to develop into the vines that they are now. And with them flying over and using herbicide to keep the grass and trees from growing in this pipeline route, I can just imagine what it'll do to my fruit trees and my grapevines. Uh, Frank, I understand that you're a veteran. Yes, I am. I, uh, I was in the, in the Marine Corps, and uh, after I got out of the service, I moved back up here to Oregon because I'm from Oregon. Um, I don't believe 
that the rights that I fought for while I was in Vietnam, of which I served three tours, uh, I don't believe that they should be taken away by some Canadian Chinese uh, company that wants to put a natural gas pipeline for their benefit, not for my benefit. Well, thank you for your service, and I can certainly understand that it just doesn't seem fair for you to fight for our rights and someone came and just take your land away with eminent domain for a foreign country. No, it's not right at all. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with us, Frank. Okay, thank you. What's your name? My name is Deborah McGee. Why are you here today? I am here because this idea of putting a fracked gas pipeline and export terminal in Oregon is an abomination. It's a violation of the rights of future generations to continue to engage in behaviors that will further the parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere that is already causing the climate changes that we're experiencing right now. We're at 410 parts. This project will do nothing but make all of the pollution and all of the climate change and all of the global warming much worse. So I feel like this is a, a, the fight of our lives. We have to stop burning fossil fuels. We have to stop using dirty energy, and we need to move to a just, clean transition. It's 100% possible. We can do it right now. It's the fact that the corporations of the fossil fuel companies have so much money, and they have their money in the pockets of our politicians, and that's why I've come on this trip to to fight this project. And this project will put in uh, a fossil fuel infrastructure that is supposed to last for another 50 years. I mean, it's, it's just not like, oh, we're going to burn some natural gas today or tomorrow. This is a 50-year project where we're going to burn natural gas into the future. You know, I, I like to think that we're an intelligent species that will um, rise to the occasion of saving ourselves and saving our children's future. But I think it's going to take a lot of work because we've been uh, on the wrong path for a long time now. And I hope um, I hope that we bottomed out with the 2016 election, and I hope that we're turning the corner toward a new future. I'm excited that there are 100, over 100 women in Congress now. It's a good start. We need to um, move in and make the right things happen. And it's it's totally possible. Well, good. Well, thank you. I am thank happy, you for speaking with happy us today. to be here. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Rowena Jackson, and I'm a member of the Klamath Tribes. Rowena, why are you here at the uh, hearing today? <laughs> well, first of all, it's it's my duty. Um, it's something that I can't ignore. It's something that I have to show up and uh, be voices for other people that can't be here. I've been writing poetry and sharing my experiences in poetry. And so today I'm going to share draft 12. And so I take it that you are opposed to this pipeline? Every breath I take. And why are you opposed to it? First of all, our people are connected to the land. We breathe in that land. We are that land. We are that water. We're connected in a spiritual way. Everybody's going to be impacted. The winged ones, um, the four-leggeds. You know, it's just not the two-leggeds. And we have to remember those four-leggeds can't come here and speak today. Right. So I'm probably right. able to speak for some of those. Yeah, me too. What? What 
tribe are you from? I'm from the Klamath tribes. And is that in Northern California? Southern Oregon. Oh, Southern Oregon. Okay. Yeah, it consists of the Klamath, Modoc, and Yahuskin. Well, thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Well, Richard Chasm, tell me why you're here today. This is one of the most idiotic proposals that I've heard in 40 years of economic development stupidity. The fact that they're going to seriously propose to put a, an LNG terminal right in the teeth of the Pacific subduction earthquake is criminal malfeasance, or it's rank stupidity, or it's a political payoff, or it's all three. Right. Do you have an opinion? What's your name? Yeah, no, I totally agree with the previous statement. My name is David Bivota, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. In fact, the, the media coverage on this is minimal. In Jackson County, NPR and both Channel 5, they both only, they, they neglected to hear the counterpoints of this LNG pipeline. They only paid attention to the pipeline pros, and, and they ignored the anti-pipeline people, such as myself. So that's why I'm here in Canyonville tonight. Pat Quinn, why are you here tonight? I'm here tonight to finally try and get one state agency that has the authority to do so, to stand up for we, the people, against a foreign, out-of-state fossil fuel schemers. Stand up for us. You don't owe them anything. You owe us everything. Stan Petrowski, why are you here tonight? I'm here because the South Umpqua River is a very sensitive river. It's um, been declared a health hazard already. Every year it's permanently declared so in the state. And millions of dollars have been spent doing restoration work on this river. And this project is going to set it back way, way, way back. And so I would like to see the pipeline die. I've been dealing with this project for 14 years, and it's time has come. Well, the time came in 2016, and you know how these zombie and, projects are. They rise yep. from the dead. What's your name? My name's Gemma Cray. Gemma Cray. Why are you here tonight, Gemma? I wanted to put my uh, two cents in for uh, the no-on uh, LNG pipeline that uh, Pembia is uh, planning to make throughout southern Oregon. Yes, I've heard about this. It's a 230-mile-long pipeline. Yeah, and it's going to go through a land that I'm a member of. I'm, I'm actually a part owner of the Oregon Women's Land Trust, and it's going to go through waterways and a creek that is fish-bearing. And I'm against all the upset that, that would, this pipeline would cause through all the 400 uh, rivers and streams and waterways that this will cause. Yes, for over 400. That is an amazing number, you know. And uh, a lot of those are fish bearing, like the one next to right, our farm, right. I believe, is fish bearing. It is fish bearing. Yes. And it would just, just decimate the whole environment, all of it. It would be awful to have this pipeline go through. And then after they cross the stream, they got to go up a steep hillside that after they clear-cut it, they had a huge landslide on that hillside. Oh, they did? 
did? Wow. Yes. And so they're going to put the pipeline right by that big landslide. Yeah, there's so many uh, dangerous aspects to this pipeline that they don't even consider or even know about. I mean, what if there is an earthquake over in Coos Bay? You know, what's yeah. going to happen there? What if uh, the plant uh, or the uh, pipeline bursts and the fire happens and it's going to cause a big fire, forest fire? I mean, it's just dangerous. I don't want this to be in southern Oregon. Especially since it's not for Oregonians. Right. It's going to be for the Asian countries. And for the profits are going to go to Canada. Yeah. It's a Make Canada Great Again project. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the United States and our Oregon. And I, I'm totally against it. And I'm glad there's so many people here tonight. Yeah. What do you think? Are it's about three or four hundred? Uh, yeah, I guess. It's good for Douglas yeah. County turnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Thanks, Gemma, for You're talking welcome. with us. You are listening to Conservation Today. I am your host, Francis Etherington. And we are in Canyonville today at the casino at the Department of State Lands hearing on the Pacific Connector gas pipeline and the LNG export terminal. We've been talking with many of the people waiting in line to give testimony about the pipeline, eminent domain, and other impacts from that pipeline. But this project also has a big impact in the Bay of Coos Bay, where they plan to build the actual export terminal. That is where they will liquefy the natural gas. They will supercool it and compress it so they can put more on ships taking it over to Asia. They expect about an extra 240 ship trips per year through that bay coming and going. They will also build huge LNG storage tanks, two of them, 86 million gallons. The problem is they're right in the path of the North Bend Regional Airport runway, and they are higher than the FAA allows, so that's one of the big problems we're going to be watching out for. Another big problem is that the whole terminal, where the where the ships are going to be loaded up, where the gas is going to be liquefied, where there's a lot of explosive material that needs electricity at all time to keep that gas super cool, is being built over one of the most dangerous fault lines in Oregon. Expected to produce a subduction zone earthquake and tsunami probably within the lifetime of this project. We're overdue for it. And so folks are really concerned about the impacts to Coos Bay when you put this extremely heavy-duty industrial project right there, right across the runway from the airport and right over where a big earthquake is expected to blow. So far, many of the people we've been talking to, waiting to speak, have been concerned about the pipeline impacts. 230 miles for a 100-foot-wide right-of-way is an intense impact across southern Oregon. We are going to take a break right now. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with more people waiting in this very, very long line to sign up to speak to the state about their concerns about the pipeline and the terminal. We'll be right back. We're back. This is Conservation Today, and I am your host, Francis Etherington. And this segment, we are speaking with people waiting in line to speak to the state on the Jordan Cove project. We're in Canyonville, January 9th. Let's talk with Connie Page, waiting here in line. Connie is from Alaska. 
Alaska for a long time, so the entire debacle up there with um, with with that oil spill and how long it took to resolve and how much they ended up not paying and not doing. And you continue to see, you see the spills every day almost across the country. There's no way it can be a safe pipeline. There's no, I mean, and they can't assure us of that. And to go under the rivers where the fish and the the and the, the Pacific newts, all the different aquatic some life. Some rare native clams over there in Coos Bay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what it's just it's Connie Page. Connie, Connie Page. Page. It's just ridiculous, and um, that's why I'm here. And I'm also here to. Um, express the League of Women Voters for Umpqua Valley's opinion. And what is your name? My name is Jacob LaBelle. Jacob, why are you here tonight? Uh, to comment on the Department of State Lands uh, water dredging and filling permit uh, for the Joan Cove project. Oh, so you want to tell, what do you want to tell the state of Oregon about that? I kind of want to, I don't know if it's going to be useful um, or if they're even going to listen, but I would like to uh, point out to them that in today's world, um, you know, water doesn't respect our borders, and, and when you heat up the oceans or when you cause climate change, with, which then takes away our snow and our snow melt that feeds our rivers, that, you know, supports our salmon, um, you know, so if you worsen climate change, if you allow infrastructure that worsens climate change, you're not fulfilling your mission of protecting the state's water and water resources for future generations and present generations. Thank you, Jacob. I look forward to your testimony tonight. Thank you. Eventually, our wait is over. The door is open. We file in. We all sign up to comment. We're given a number. We sit down. In front of us is Vicki Walker and other Department of State Land personnel at a table facing us with two chairs facing them. So they begin to take comments, uh, have two people at a time sit in front of the room and speak into a microphone. Some of these comments are pretty legible for this recording purpose and some were not. So we'll see what we get here. My name is Bruce Gordon. Uh, I have come here tonight to voice my opposition to this unnecessary project. My appearance today is the best I could do instead of blocking mail. I'm sorry that I don't have large amounts of money to bribe the correct people. I've worked on opposing this project since 2006, and I'll work until it's dead and rotting in its corporate grave. I've lived along the South Humber River for 48 plus years. I've watched this river that I love dearly degrade over the years. There are many factors in this degradation. It's time to reverse the damage. The Pacific Connector Pipeline will be another nail in the coffin of this river. One of my duties as a professional retired person is, the is a volunteer maintenance person of a county park less than one mile below the proposed crossing of the river. This park is used by the community for gathering together, swimming, and sometimes fishing, although not much fishing anymore. The destructive nature of rooting around in the river to lay a 36-inch pipe will greatly affect our park by creating silt and muddying our waters. The fish numbers have dwindled over the years and will only, this will only be harmed by their numbers. I urge you to reject this project and send it to the dustbin of history. 
I hope to see a day when the Jordan Cove project is as much an ancient memory as the days pre-Jordan. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Stacy McLaughlin, an impacted landowner near Winston, speaks next. The DSL director reminds us that she is the sole decider. Kate Brown has given her the power to make decisions about my life. I am clearly at your mercy, Ms. Walker. The power to be the decider about my home and my property is taken from me through eminent domain. Ms. Walker and a Canadian corporation have more power and rights to decide my fate than I do as an American citizen. Think about that. As a citizen, I barely feel tolerated by the deciders. Information and requests are disregarded, and I am ridiculed publicly when I make them. Pimpin' up buys unlimited access, I am bequeathed two minutes. Yes, I know I have no power. I am reminded of this time again in the middle of the night when fear creeps in about the loss of my home, my land, and the water as we know it. Trust me, after more than a decade of Oregon officials allowing my family to be held hostage to the speculative gamble of Canadian corporations, I know I am little more than a nuisance. You hold my fate and the future of other generations in your hands. The deciders chosen to represent me are failing me and the people of this state. When you decided to accept an incomplete application, you failed me. When DSL extends deadline after deadline to accommodate an applicant who after 15 years cannot provide you with a completed application isn't just failing my family, it's harming us. I demand that you deny this permit, and I know I have no power. The truth of that breaks my heart as a citizen. And anyone who has served me and the public for 30 years like I have, I know the influence and impact that a $10 million a month budget welds on deciders because I'm suffering for it every single day. You need to say no to this budget. My name is Chrisette Valenches, C-H-R-I-S-E-T-P-A-L-E-N-S-H-U-S. I'm here representing my ancestors and my future generations, the plants and animals that don't have a voice in this decision. We are responsible for them. Our decisions affect so many. Our role is stewards of this home. We must be brave and do the right thing. Not just for this industry, for the industry that may preclude other industries that rely on clean air, clean water, all of the, all the industries, right? My name is Bill I'm a landowner. I have this uh, mess. They're trying to put it through my ranch. I'm also a retired member of Iron Workers Local 29, so I probably don't warn anybody in this room about both sides of this issue. Um, I hope I never tramped on somebody else's rights just to get a job. I mean, that's just, I can't even believe that people think that way. But anyway, for you people from DSL don't understand this, but gravity water runs downhill. So when, on my ranch, in order for me to distribute the water and move it around, I have to move it from uphill to another area. In order to, with the way these years have been so dry, in order to distribute our cattle, we have to, we've had to build a lot of new pipelines and stuff to move the cattle to different areas for grazing and stuff. And right now, where they're gonna put this pipeline through, if they even know where they're gonna put it, is, um, 
going to cause me major, major problems to distribute my cattle because I have to run the pipelines across where this right-of-way is going to go through. Okay, so far, uh, springs and wetlands haven't even been surveyed on my property. So I don't know how DSL could even make a decision on my wetlands and my springs if they haven't even been surveyed. Nobody's been on my property. I don't want them on my property. I want them to leave me alone. Um, this project's gonna have major effects on the management of my ranch. Uh, Long-term employment for my ranch. I have a son that's taken over. I have family members who work there, a couple other employees, and this is gonna have a major effect on the way we manage our ranch when they put this thing right through the middle of it. Um, our ranch is not a boom and bust industry like the gas industry. We have long-term permanent jobs on our ranch and we want to protect those. We don't want them to turn into uh, a boom and bust cycle. Um, I don't understand how they're gonna mitigate wetlands from my property in Douglas County clean over on the coast. And that doesn't make any sense to me how they could possibly uh, mitigate that property. Um, I guess I'm out of time, so uh, respectfully I ask you to uh, turn this down so that you can protect my property and my land. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay. I'm from Myrtle Creek. I'm three miles out of town on South Myrtle. Um, I only heard about this meeting at 4.30 today, so I'm not prepared, but, and, and what I'm here about is two trees. And everybody says, what two trees? I says, two madrone trees. The conservationist measured one at 18 feet, four inches around. That tree is more than 2,000 years old. The other tree is probably the same size. Those trees were sprouts when Jesus walked on our earth. Um, and so then I thought, well, why would a madrone grow up on the hill? Well, because madrones like water. There is a huge aquifer under those trees, and they're at the top of a very narrow ridge line. And the water actually feeds five small farms. We all have lots of animals. I do horse rescue. We, in here with record drought, we, none of us were out of water ever. It's beautiful, clean, healthy water. Um, I, I think they didn't, I charge Pembilla for not doing enough research. They should not be cutting through my madrone or my water table. And there's, all of us farms depend on that. Thank you. Ma'am, can I ask you, where are your trees that you're concerned about? Are they on your property? Yes, they are. Oh, they, oh, can you answer into the microphone, please? Yes, okay, so they are on my property. Your property. Can you tell the, me your property? Um, 100 Opossum Lane. And it's a, a very high ridge line. It's only about 20 feet wide up at the top. And I didn't even know Pembina had been there. I found the ribbons on the trees and some blue X's on some of the other trees. They, if they cut through there, like they're going, they'll kill those two madrones. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, ma'am. 
I'm glad that you heard about this at 4.30 and you were able to come down today. We appreciate it. And I'll take the next person to take her seat, please. All right, me. Um, thank you. My name is Sarah, S-A-R-A-B-U-R-A-N-T, Burnett. Um, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight, Ms. Walker. Um, I have been fortunate enough to crouch in dappled alder shade on a warm October afternoon, watching a female salmon sweep her great tail back and forth over riverbed gravel and silt, creating the red where she would deposit her eggs. The fish had just beaten her way up river to the very place where she had hatched three, maybe four years before. Using the last of her strength, the fish was driven to secure another generation for her species, a feat of luck and grit and grace. There's a reason Chinook salmon are the state fish of Oregon. The salmon's journey speaks to us powerfully of faithfulness, resiliency, and home. Yet Chinook and other salmon populations are at risk in every single river the proposed fracked gas pipeline will impact. The dredging, damming, trenching, tree clearing, and water diversions necessary to accomplish the pipeline will jeopardize tribal, state, and citizen-led efforts to restore this iconic species. Can you imagine the Klamath, Rogue, or Umpqua rivers without Chinook or Coho salmon? I can't. It is most definitely not in the public's interest to permit the fracked gas pipeline to further disrupt sensitive salmon habitat. Thank you very much. We have been listening to the Department of State Lands hearing in Canyonville on Wednesday, January 9th, where community members told the state of Oregon what they thought about the Jordan Cove export terminal and the pipeline, the 230-mile pipeline going across southern Oregon. Uh, this is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Francis Etherington. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back to listen to more of our neighbors speak out about this project. We're back with Conservation Today. This is your host, Francis Etherington, and we're going to continue to listen to people, our neighbors, speak to the state of Oregon, the Department of State Lands, comments on their removal fill permit for the Jordan Cove project for the 230-mile-long 100-foot-plus-wide right-of-way that a Canadian corporation plans wants to build across southern Oregon and to terminate it at Coos Bay at an export terminal where they will liquefy the natural gas, put it on about, about 120 ships per year, round trip about 240 more trips per year in, a, in the Bay of Coos Bay. Now, so let's continue to listen to people speaking to the Department of State Lands on this issue. Hello, my name is Robert Clark, R-O-B-E-R-T-O, Clark, C 
C-L-A-R-K-E. I'm the owner of Robert O. Clark Tree and Energy Farm. Uh, the pipeline runs directly on my prop through our property. I happen to have a map here. Uh, this is my house where I live. Uh, there's a landslide that I'm concerned about that runs right along in here, which I've submitted information to the FERC about, and I would suggest that you take a look at some of the comments that have been submitted to FERC uh, to see what some of the concerns of landowners and their properties are. Uh, I'm going to talk mainly about my water resources because I'm on a well and we have springs, but they're both uh, both creeks or dry creeks most of the year, and they've yet to even flow yet this year because of the drought. Uh, so I have limited water resources for my home and for firefighting. Uh, also, as I mentioned, I'm a tree farmer, and I'm going to lose 200 feet of timberland uh, to this easement, which is going to financially impact me severely. Uh, and um, 200 feet, yes, for a road and an easement. My father is John A. Clark, and he's probably submitted you some information on this. Um, you know, I really don't care about union people and their family. I'm not a union person. I, I care about my livelihood and my income. So I guess we're competing for livelihoods here on this matter. Um, but you know, I believe in right to work, you know, because I've been unemployed a lot of my life. I'm sorry. Who did that? I'm going to ask you to self-identify and exit the room. I've asked for no noise, please. That was very disrespectful. And so I really just have to be concerned about my economic situation. Uh, it's too bad that they've uh, come in here and taken uh, speaking space away from affected landowners uh, when they're just regurgitating what comes out on the flyers that um, crowd our mailboxes every week. Um, so thank you for your listening to me and my concerns about my property in this project. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, that was so disrespectful to the speaker. It got him off guard because he was in the flow of his testimony, and that was rude to hear someone dislike that. I'm, I'm telling you that is the last warning I'm giving this thought this evening, and I will close the hearing if I hear that again. That is just so rude. Sir? Joseph Patrick Quinn. I'm the Volunteer Conservation Chair for Rumpo Watersheds, Environmental Conservation, Restoration, Education, and Outreach nonprofit in Roseburg. I also volunteer on the Executive Council of the Coquille Watershed Association and through that association, although I don't speak for them, I do speak for Rumpo Watersheds here. I volunteered with the Oregon DEQ on the total maximum daily load citizen advisory panel for the Coquille. And what I learned shocked me. There isn't a fork at the Coquille group. Hardly a tributary that isn't 303D listed under the Clean Water Act. Temperature, turbidity, lack of dissolved oxygen, bacteria, you name it. They are in terrible shape. The fish runs are depleted. 
78 degrees in the South Umpqua this summer in my Umpqua watersheds capacity. I've looked at these criteria all along the South Umpqua. 80 degrees in the South Umpqua. Depleted flows from decades of the removal of primary forest and its replacement with plantations have depleted the summer flows. That's hard research from the United States Forest Service and the University of Oregon. Hard research. You cannot mitigate that by trenching across these rivers, by jacking under them where bentonite leaks are a definite possibility. We had one in the East Coquille when the 12-inch gas line was run down to Goose Bay. Bentonite in the East Coquille from a blowout. It happened once. The odds on a three-foot pipeline happening again are large. And I have to say, for the working people here, I got 40 years in the International Union of Operating Engineers, and I respect people looking for work and needing it. But right now, the long term is more important than the short. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir, and thank you, audience, for observing the silent support. Hi, my name is Diane Phillips. Okay, talk louder. Okay. Um, I've been um, actually researching and fighting this project since 2005, um, just as a volunteer. Um, and you're, uh, it just kind of astonishes me that as the years go by, the job numbers seem to just keep growing and growing, although the project is pretty much the same. hospitals, casinos, um, Intel buildings in Portland, and other infrastructure to buy. Now on the water resources, um, I live near Upper Cow Creek, and it is crossing the East Fork of Cow Creek, and that has been extensively mined. There is uh, cinnabar in the soil, and I have very great concerns about that producing more mercury in our water. Um, I also know that um, the South Umpqua River, which is, um, you know, Cow Creek is a is a tributary of, um, has no allocation left for uh, temperature, and so I'm I just can't understand how they can mitigate for any of the riparian area that is is lost due to the pipeline. Um, over by uh, Milo, where they plan to cross, that is a, a very important salmon um, breeding area. Also very limited. I'm also a, a member of the Native Plant Society, and it will cross um, uh, in Myrtle Creek, an area um, near Bill Gow's land, which contains the Calicortis coxii, which is a, a, a lily that um, is highly regarded throughout the world and only found in three places, um, and that is because it only grows at about 2,000, uh, 1,500. I'm sorry, about 1,500 feet serpentine soil, which is part of the old Klamath Mountains, and that only exists in that spot. And this pipeline is proposed to cross the only public area where this um, flower grows and on BLM land. Um, oh, my time's up. Okay. And thank you very much.
My name is Jennifer Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. I am a director of Art and Women's Land Trust, a nonprofit with a property on the milepost 86 of the Pacific Connector Pipeline. On that property, we protect complete sub-watershed feeding into Woods Creek, a fish burning stream. An alternative pipeline route would clear-cut eight acres of our land. A nearby alternative route goes over our neighbor's wetland, which, like many other crossings, Northern Cove has not evaluated on site. It then descends an extremely steep slope to cross a fish-bearing tributary to Woods Creek, where under the Oregon Forest Practices Act, Seneca had to leave a buffer for trees to shade fish. The pipeline would require the clearing of that buffer permanently on this and every other water crossing in its path the entire length of the pipeline, harming our local salmon nursery grounds for the long term. As well as loss of shade, fish will also be harmed when dirt on that slope heats gravity and slides into the creek. The slope it would continue Upwards on the other side has already suffered recent landslides. I have a picture here that I will submit of a landslide that is exactly on the route um, following logging operations there. In 2003, a gas pipeline built from Roseburg to Coos Bay also caused landslides that damaged fish habitat. On that pipeline, drilling loop can blew out into the creeks, damaging spawning grounds with bentonite clay. We fear drilling fluid frag outs to, are bound to happen on some percentage of the 400 plus water crossings on this route. We object to the proposed mitigation of local damage on the South Humber watershed at the Kentuck Golf Course mitigation site in the Coos watershed. Your removal fill guide restricts mitigation to something called a fourth field watershed. The Kentuck mitigation site is in the fourth field watershed of the Coos, not the Umpqua or Klamath River. The Kentuck mitigation site will be a saltwater wetland, obviously not to mitigate for freshwater fish. Our South Umpqua fish are not going to spawn in a seaside saltwater golf course. Please enforce your regulations and deny the removal fill permit for failing to mitigate harm in the correct watersheds and for all the other real threats it poses to Oregon waters. Thank you. My name is Sandy, S-N-D-Y-L-Y-O-N. I live in Days Creek. I used my husband, Russ, spoke a little earlier and I'm gonna pick up where he left off. But first I would say, uh, Director Walker, Stacy feel like a non-entity in this whole process. We are an affected landowner, and no matter what we say or who we turn to, we feel unheard. So today I know you will hear what your decision is, we'll see. But So where my husband left off is that we live on a ranch in Days Creek and have two creeks. And we have for 20 years done restoration on those two creeks. And he didn't get a chance to tell you, but we removed fish barriers. We saw that the county replaced a fish passage culvert, and we put in fish structures and watched the salmon, the coho, return to our streams and spawn. It was the most exciting thing when I first saw a spawning pair in a creek that had no coho in it since the uh, road had put in that day's creek. So this land is important to us, and I wanted you to know that the pipeline designed their route directly through our project area, directly through some of the log structures placed will have to be removed, and they've provided special protection for 
or winter juveniles to survive. And they haven't cared in the least. We've tried our best to say, can't you go somewhere else than through a restoration project? And the answer is, the pipeline's going through our property. So that was the main thing I wanted to say. Uh, oh, the last thing was that their idea of mitigation is to do one huge project down on the coast. And not to say that mitigation isn't needed for the estuary, it certainly is for their dredging, but they are not mitigating for every stream they cross. They are going to take down trees that provide cool water habitat for the fish, and mitigation needs to happen where the damage is done. Thank you. Diana Larson, D-I-A-N-A-L-A-R-S-O-N. I've been opposed to the pipeline from the beginning, although I was unable to attend the earliest meetings concerning the pipeline, I did stay informed on the issue. From what I know, there are so many negatives associated with the pipeline, including threats to salmon and steelhead habitat, as well as a negative impact to valuable farm and forest land and absolutely zero long-term positives. I can't understand why we're still dealing with it. It seems as though no one is listening to those who will be most affected by the pipeline project. How frustrating all this is. I grew up on the South Umpqua River. I learned how to swim in the South Umpqua. It used to be thick with Pacific lamprey. I haven't seen a Pacific lamprey in years, and when we did the science project with my seven and nine-year-old this last summer, we did find two small baby lamprey, and that was very exciting. I feel that this pipeline would pretty much put the nail in any coffin of them returning. Douglas, Coos, Klamath, and or Jackson counties do not need or want to be a victim of the greed, destruction of the environment, or potentially becoming a terrorist target because of PC or whatever name they're calling it now. It seems more and more our government, instead of listening to the will of the people and doing what the people want, our elected leaders are saying, we don't care. This is what we are going to do. The number of jobs that are rumored to be created by the pipeline would be mostly temporary and would not provide any long-term benefit for anyone in Oregon. It is morally wrong to promote this pipeline as otherwise. With the recent fires and numerous pipeline explosions around our nation and the well-known propensity for landslides along the proposed pipeline route, the impending tsunami, not if, but when, how can anyone seriously think this high-pressure gas pipeline through the forests of Southern Oregon is a good idea? No matter how careful where humans are involved, there's always going to be accidents. Any decision by the federal government or the state of Oregon to allow the export of fracked natural gas will harm our country's natural resources and damage Oregon's fragile indigenous environment. Granting permission to export natural gas to a foreign company and competing interests may per be perceived as seemingly insignificant. However, it has been very real potential to detrimentally affect the economic future of the United States. Please say no. This is going to affect 400 bodies of water multiple times, pristine shrubs and grasslands, more than 2 million acres of water <coughs> will be impacted. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, this is Walker. My name is uh, Sandra Clark, S-A-N-D-R-A-C-L-A-R-K. 
I want to thank you for hearing the voices of Oregonians at this hearing and the others this week and next. I urge you to deny this removal fill application and to stop this project. Ultimately, this hearing is not about job creation or revenue for impacted counties. Nothing more, but certainly no less than, it's about whether the application allows you and your department to do your job, to be a steward of Oregon waters, navigation, recreation, fisheries, conservation, and public safety. If this project, possibly the largest in your history, goes forward, who will monitor the compliance of the construction, operation, and mitigation plans long-term? Please consider the capacity of state agencies to monitor the actions of Panmina, a foreign oil company whose interest in Oregon is purely monetary. For many reasons, this project will be devastating. We, the people of Oregon, depend on you and other elected and appointed officials to be champions of the health of the lands and the people of this beautiful state. Please, Ms. Walker, be as courageous as you can. Thank you. Hi, my name is Beth Gibson, G-I-P-S-O-N. Um, and I am a, a member of the Cal Creek people, and I am in opposition. We as a community need to keep our waterways safe from harmful contaminants and pollutants. I grew up here in Canyonville, where I stand right at this moment, is where I played in a meadow, in a meadow as a child. I raised my children here, now they're south of the river. We have fished and protected our salmon for many years. Again, I am a member of the Cow Creek Band of the Tribe of Indians. The thoughts of our ancestral lands being dug up breaks my heart. I am also a Cow Creek basket weaver, and I spend many days gathering my materials down at the river. So when the pipeline breaks, because it will one day, it will de devastate so much. We need to think about the future. Our children are the future. Save our ancestral lands, our waterways, our future. Dredging will interrupt and harm our waterways. Our water, our wildlife, it means everything. Keeping them safe helps keep us safe. So please, deny the permit. We have been listening to the Department of State Lands public hearing at the in Canyonville at the casino on January 9th, Wednesday, about the Jordan Cove project, about the Pacific Connector pipeline going 230 miles across Oregon, and about the Jordan Cove export terminal. This is all owned by a Canadian company to ship Canadian gas to Asia using Southern Oregon as their route to, uh, to go from an existing pipeline near Klamath Falls over to Coos Bay. It is a complicated and contentious project that we've been dealing with here in Douglas County since about 2005. So uh, please look in the description below of the podcast so uh, and go to the website nolngexports.org. There you can find out more information about what this project is and a handy way to submit your own comments to the state of Oregon. Submit those comments before February 3rd. We are really counting on the state of Oregon to stop this project.
because we know that the feds likely won't. And it's not a good project and not a good idea. This has been Conservation Today. I am your host, Francis Etherington, and we'll be back in two weeks.